0: Welcome to the Mo Podcast. A place where individual stories come to life. This is how we need to be communicating with people. This is how we support people's personal development. It's important to speak about people believing in people. The more you're able to let go of your limitation, the more you step into your power, your inner authentic power. Mo, a place for me, others, everyone. So welcome back everybody to the Mo Foundation podcast. I am so excited to have a wonderful guest and friend of mine on the podcast today, Katrina Weller. Um, So I've known Katrina since, gosh, we were about, I don't know, toddlers, toddling around (laughs) at playgroup. And I've been there for her sort of evolution as a human being. Um, And I'm really, really, really keen to kind of hear and share her story with the rest of the Mo community. She is a Mo coach, she she qualified um, a little while back in Australia, um, although she is from the UK and I'm just super super excited to have her on. Um, So welcome Katrina. (laughs) Hello
1: thank you so much for having me I'm excited to to be here and to share my deep dark
0: secrets with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what we like on Mo that's what we like on the Mo podcast <laughs> um, so Gina I, I I'm just I don't really know where to begin but I think it would be really interesting for for the community to hear a little bit about um what's brought you to where you are now and that's a really broad question I know
1: it's a very big question a lot has happened in my 29 years of life um so i guess as you mentioned at the start i do currently live in melbourne australia but i am from the midlands in england and i moved to australia four and a half years ago with my now fiance um and uh, we absolutely love it here but my life did start in England. So I am one of three, I have an older brother and sister. And um, I guess the pivotal moment for me that kind of led me towards this path is um, when I was 15 years old. On the 7th of July 2010, my mum died, my mum Greta died from cancer. Um, it was As anybody can imagine, losing a parent at a young age was really life-changing for me. It changed my perspective on who I was, on the world, on what it meant to be human. Um, And I had to sort of navigate grief um, and figure out what, and how I wanted my life to look over the next, you know, foreseeable future. So it really changed who I was. I had always been a very shy, quiet person. Um, I didn't really say boo to a goose and I wouldn't speak in class. I had my very small group of friends and I was happy with that. But Once my mom died, I started to rebel a little bit and start to test those boundaries and um, I started to question well what's the point in all of this does it really matter if I say or act in a certain way because at the end of the day you're all going to die sounds a bit morbid saying it like that but I guess in reality that is the truth mm-hmm. and so for the next sort of eight years of my life I went down this path that was quite dark and I was engaging in really risky behaviors I didn't understand grief and the impact that it was having on me. And that actually what I was feeling was completely normal. And in my mind, I thought that I was just strange or going crazy. And it's not something that we're ever taught about growing up. So I felt very isolated and alone in my experience. Um, So for the next eight years, I kind of went on that path, moved away to college. Then I went to uni and studied zoology, but I continued engaging in very risky behaviors. Um, At the end of my final year of my university degree, my sister fell pregnant with twins, which was a very exciting time and very scary for me at the prospect that it means that I may have twins one day. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, she fell pregnant with twins and um, sadly she went into labour 15 and a half weeks premature, which meant that both my niece and nephew were born very, very early, they were very, very tiny. And unfortunately, my nephew, Matty, died at five days old from sepsis. And this was another pivotal moment for me, as I watched my sister balance between the duality of life and the duality of grief. Because she was there, happy that she had her daughter, my niece, who was still, you know, very much... Um, high risk but alive and she was happy because she was a mother but also the deep grief and sadness because she had lost her son as well so it was this duality of emotions that made me realize that we don't have to just feel one thing and it's not as simple as that and that there is a complexity to our emotions and to life And I started to really really re-examine my own choices and the way that I had been living for the last eight years after my mom died. And I realized that I was living in this space where I felt that the only way to honor my mom was to be angry and to be sad, because that's the only way to show that I was grieving. It's the only way to show that I cared and that I missed her, which I now know isn't true. Um, so after that, I really went on a journey of, um, I was seeing a psychologist. I was speaking to friends and I was starting to remove myself from those risky environments that I'd put myself in. And I started working in schools and I was doing a lot of work whilst I was finishing my degree in schools in primary school. And I realized I actually love working with kids. And although I also love working with animals and they're not too dissimilar, um, (laughs) I actually just really loved working with kids and for me i felt that that was more of a career path that i was drawn to Mm. and so i started working in schools Um, i was also working at a vet, So I was kind of doing a bit of both and dipping my toe Mm -hmm. in both. And then I managed to get a career working with disadvantaged students um, across the Midlands and doing aspiration-raising workshops, both one-on-one and to groups of up to like 200 Mm -hmm. students. I absolutely loved it. So when I met my partner and we decided to move to Australia, um, I managed to get a job combining those two passions at an aquarium, which was incredible, where I did education Pieces, etc., etc. Again, working with children and working with animals. And then when COVID hit, we all lost our jobs. And I was left wondering what am I going to do with my time? And I'd always wanted to speak a lot more about my grief. In more recent years, I'd had a lot of friends reach out to me when they experienced a loss um, because more of my friends were starting to experience that as, as we got sort of into our mid-20s and I realised how many people felt alone and isolated just the same way that I did and I wanted to change that and so I started a podcast called Grow With Grief in 2020 which I absolutely loved, I actually had you on <laughs> which you'll remember and I spoke to all different types of people that had experienced all different forms of loss because for me what I realised is that so often when we think of grief we think of death and we think of bereavement there's so many other forms of grief that are out there in the world, and so often people feel alone in it because it's not acknowledged as grief when, in fact, that's what it is. And so I started bringing people on to, to um, share their stories so that they felt validated, and other people could also resonate. Mm. And. From there I started doing workshops, I started getting invited to do guest speaking and this is when I decided I really actually want to help people on a more personal level. And um, I knew that from sharing on social media it was having an impact on me sharing my experience, not only was it helping others but it was actually helping me um, to be able to finally give a voice to the things that I had experienced in my life um, was really really powerful and healing for me. So. I decided uh in the middle of lockdowns what can i do and i heard about mo through you um and i decided to do a coaching course and it really enlightened me into um how i can work with not just adults but young people as well and how can i not be a counselor and not be a psychologist but be able to provide support if these topics come up in discussion. And so now what I do is is actually run an educational um, organisation where we work with schools and we run in-class workshops um, based around navigating change. And I work one-to-one with children. I also work in classroom settings. I do development for staff. Um, I also do corporate workshops. And so I have a blended... um, approach in terms of coaching but also evidence-based practice I'm also um, almost about to finish my counseling diploma so I've blended all of it together so that I can best serve young people and that's what my passion really is is working with young people so that when change does happen in their life they don't need to run from it or be afraid of it they can um, move through it and walk alongside the change without fearing it and that's my big passion now so that's kind of how I've got to
0: where I am now in a yeah. snapshot I think <laughs> I mean, it's there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff in there <laughs> yeah. no 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 I mean I'm obviously I know a huge amount about your life because it's um it, it, I've been a part of it um, so but it's amazing to hear you kind of go through that process of yeah where you were and, and kind of where you are now so with the work that you're doing um what what do you call yourself what's your title I say I'm a
1: grief grief specialist um Mm. and the reason I use the word specialist instead of expert or something like that is because I don't think anyone's ever an expert in grief Mm. I think that you know it can crop up at any time it doesn't matter how much grief you've experienced if a new form of grief comes into your life and you experience a new loss it's going to hit you completely differently so a grief specialist and an educator um is what I call myself
0: what a beautiful title and yeah, so needed, so needed in today, and and it's exactly what you were saying about that kind of grief being um, showing up in all sorts of different places. So we think of it in um, if we're very binary with it, it is of somebody who's passed away, and therefore you yeah. grieve it, grieve it. Um, but yeah, it does. It shows up in in all sorts of walks of life. Um, you know, losing. I don't know. I've, I've just moved house even so you know That's losing true. that community losing that stability of a place that was home is now not home um, and the yeah. sort of complexity around that so it's it's really fascinating and also young people are going through it at a million miles an hour <laughs> because yeah. everything is changing Um
1: Mix yes. grief and hormones together. And it is like, honestly, it's a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, and so when they're trying to understand what's happening to their bodies, but then there's also these major changes because most of our life changes happen in those first 18 years. We start yeah. going to nursery, we start going to school, we start learning to be away from our our parents and carers we then learn about friendships and relationships our bodies are changing there's so many transitions that we go through as a young person and then add on top of that any big life things that happen such as a bereavement or maybe a parent separation all of these huge things that are happening in a young person's life mix in some hormones and if you haven't got the education and the support there then it is a recipe for disaster and it is a recipe for where you get to that point that i was in where you're engaging in those risky behaviors and you're feeling isolated and alone and misunderstood so this is why it's so important that we talk to young people around what grief actually is but also how do we navigate those emotions and how do we um, move through them and Um, talk about them and how do we communicate with others about the way that we're feeling in a way that's safe not just for us but for other people as well yeah
0: yeah and a key word that keeps cropping up there is um is that isolation and that you felt and as you say I'm sure lots of people kind of feel in their grief because it's so uh, different for everybody and it's such Mm. a personal thing Um, so yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of how to make it a little bit less isolating
1: for for other people to make it less isolating for other people i would Mm. say is first of all um listen to what they have to say i think so often um when it comes to grief um the the thing that makes you feel so isolated is that everybody's trying to fix it right Mm. so they're saying it will get better after a year. Up, be strong, they wouldn't want you to be sad, all of these things that actually just make you feel more and more invalidated when all you want to do is talk about your person, is to sit there and have a cry and somebody not judge you for it or make you feel that it's wrong to feel those emotions but then also on the flip side validate when somebody isn't feeling sad or angry and let them be happy and let them have moments of joy because there's so much guilt placed on a person often if you are seen to be laughing or having a good time too soon after somebody's passed away or after a big loss so the biggest thing so that people don't feel isolated is actually just sit with them in whatever they're feeling and don't try and fix and there's so many platitudes out there and myths around how we should express our grief but understanding that grief is so individual and so unique to each person and every time they experience grief it's going to feel different you know personal example when my mom died the grief that i experienced is very different to the grief that i experienced when my granddad recently died Mm -hmm. but then on top of that we've been struggling with infertility and i've experienced multiple miscarriages and the grief that i've experienced there it's been a whole new learning curve Mm -hmm. and just because you've experienced grief once doesn't mean that you know how it should go. And just because you've experienced it personally, doesn't mean that you know how it should go for somebody else. So removing yourself and having a very unbiased, non-judgmental approach and just hearing somebody and let like sit with them in it, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to trying to fix everything. That's something that we like to do as humans. I think we like to try and find answers. Sometimes that doesn't need to be an answer. Sometimes it can just be crap.
0: Yeah yeah and it makes me think about the kind of the world of coaching and when you're sitting with a client and actually just them having someone there to to listen to them whilst they work it out themselves um which is you know what the mo course does beautifully is, is so healing and so validating to use your your words um so yeah no i think that's a really really lovely lovely thing to do and it's it's great because it's I think we, as humans, like you say, we like to have this kind of um, a formula almost to say, oh, well, this happens. This is how you deal with it. Um, Mm. And emotional things are just much more nuanced and complex than that. Um, So yeah, dealing with the human psyche, dealing with, um, I imagine that grief kind of latches on to to everything, Uh, uh, your whole, understanding of the world, your whole understanding of yourself. Um, so yeah, it's gonna shake you and move you in ways that you just don't imagine or anticipate. Um, so yeah. No, I often I
1: mean, refer to it as looking through, um, you know, those kaleidoscopes where yeah. everything kind of is everywhere, there's different colors everywhere and you can't quite make sense of it. That's what it's a little bit like for me anyway, in terms of grief, mm. because, colours are so much more vivid you're so much more aware of everything and you're so much more aware of um the small things and the importance of those small things in the world and you notice the things that maybe you didn't notice before and also the things that seem so big before don't seem as significant anymore so i often think that it's kind of like looking through a kaleidoscope and just another thing on Making sure that people don't feel isolated so often as well is that I hear from grievers that they don't want to talk about it because they can see the other person's uncomfortable. Mm. So, you know, as a coach, what can you do to show that you're not uncomfortable sitting with them in that? If you can tell that somebody is like sort of writhing away from it, maybe they've got their arms crossed, maybe they just kind of just their whole body language changes you're not going to want to talk about it and that's going to make them feel even more isolated and alone and less likely to speak to somebody else as well. So as a coach, it's really important that we can make sure that we're showing that we're comfortable and getting used to being comfortable in that discomfort with others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's that, um, that idea of holding one's own, isn't it? And, and being yeah. able to just, um, yeah, let it wash over yeah. and it's, it's gonna, I'm sure, I mean, grief has a, a way of, I was talking about sort of latching on to things, but it, it does, want, when it's in the room, it, it becomes something quite uncomfortable. And what what would be your advice in sort of alleviating discomfort if you had anything? Obviously, it's very... Um,
1: so if you're a coach fine. and you feel
0: uncomfortable? Yeah, I think yeah. Um, it's a really interesting thing.
1: I I think that if I think you have to be really honest with yourself if you are going to work with somebody or support somebody that has experienced especially like a significant loss yeah. I think it's you know, be really honest with yourself of can I sit in this? Do I feel able to sit in this? Do I feel able to make that other person feel validated without putting my own perspective without putting my own discomfort on them and really be self reflective on it. Um, obviously, the more you talk about it, the easier it becomes and it becomes mm-hmm. less uncomfortable. So educate yourself. There's so many books and podcasts and social media pages and blogs. There's so much information out there about grief. Go and educate yourself so that when people do come to you and talk about it, if you want to be able to provide that support for somebody who is experiencing loss, that you know and you don't, you're not sort of taken off guard, um, and you have a very realistic approach to it because you've heard people sharing their real life experience, not just what's written in sort of like a counseling psychological textbook where it's all mm. theories. That's great. But actually hear from people, listen to podcasts, read books, and hear their firsthand experience because all the answers are there. They're yeah. all there. Yeah. And reflect on your own moments in time where maybe you've experienced a loss and perhaps it's not a bereavement but maybe it is those transitions that you've gone through moving jobs or new friendships where you felt uncomfortable and reflect what would have made me feel less alone in that moment and so i think the only way you can feel more comfortable is just is is through self-reflection
0: well that's a really really lovely way to put it um and it's so right with these you know i'm obviously um studying at the moment and and i think the the theories and everything they're very rich and they're very um interesting and uh, you know make you, do kind of make you think about what's going on for yourself anyway but they really do underpin the reality of the world it's they're not the answer they they're there to support they're there to um yeah, inform how we show up in the world, um, and and there uh, to be a kind of human being. Um, on top of that theory is is really uh, is really what we're striving for, I suppose. Um, I mean, it's a really uh, it sort of brings me into uh, my next question, which um, was really about when you're not feeling great. So you know as a coach sometimes we we show up to an environment we might be grieving ourselves we might be Mm. um going through things so i would i'd just love to to hear from you how you've navigated that and um yeah some tips and tricks for our community maybe (laughs)
1: It's been a big learning curve and Mm. I think I still am learning, if I'm completely honest. Um, At the start, when I first started working with people in this space, I definitely, you know, I'm so passionate about it that I took too much on. Mm. And there is such a thing as vicarious trauma where you're taking on other people's emotions and the things that they've experienced, Um, burnout, for example. And you know, when I was doing my podcast, I was doing a podcast that felt like recording a podcast a day, and I realized that that was not sustainable, <laughs> um, because it was exhausting for me to a be present with somebody and hear all of these sad, heartbreaking things. Um, you know, it was I was so grateful that I was in that space and they were so vulnerable with me, but also it's a lot of energy that you're you're um, giving. And then it also brings up a lot of your own grief right that that may or may not be present and you may or may not have worked through and so what i realized first and foremost is that i need to maintain good boundaries Mm -hmm. so i can't the only way i can help the world (laughs) is if i um do it piece by piece i don't have to do it all at once And so really making sure that I have that time in between to do the things that I need to do that refill my cup. Um, also being aware of dates and times that may be quite heavy and exhausting for me around anniversaries, significant days, that kind of thing, making sure I'm keeping my workload quite light around those times. Um and then more recently, you know, with infertility, miscarriage, this has been a whole new thing that has thrown my life into a bit of a a bit of chaos and it's quite challenging because I'm a business owner and I have bookings and I have clients that I have to show up for and so there is an element sometimes of in the morning I wake up and I may not feel great but what can I do to just get myself out of bed and get myself there so I can give 100% of what I've got that day it may Mm -hmm. not be what I deem to be 100% of my quality, but if it's, you know, if I'm working at 60% and I give the full 60%, then I feel like I've done, um, my client justice. So sometimes it is a case when you are self-employed and you've also, you've got this business to run that you have to kind of push through, but then what can I do when I get home and in the times where I do have the downtime to look after myself? Um so for me it's things that like walking my dogs or sometimes it is just mindlessly zoning out and watching something terrible on TV um sometimes it's baking that makes me feel really close to my mom and so it's finding all of these little things that keep me going um and you know and then sometimes there has been moments where I've just had to say I can't mm-hmm. I can't safe for me it wouldn't be safe for my clients for me to um be there today and to 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 do that work today and and that's something that has been a real challenge for me to have to accept um but it's something that i'm very transparent about with my clients in terms of if I need to take the time, I will take the time. And I think that's a really good role modeling to show that it's okay to have boundaries and it's okay to to put those things in place. So yeah, boundaries, finding the things that help you, and also sometimes just taking the time off. Yeah. <laughs> you sometimes yeah. just have to. Yeah.
0: And I think it's a real, um, it's a real cultural shift. I think since, I suppose, something that I've noticed since the pandemic, and you know, the older generation saying, you know, the young people don't want to work and, <laughs> and things yeah. like that. Um, but I really, I really do believe that actually we're just valuing our time a bit better, and we're sort of going, mm, do we have to be working on a nose to the grindstone and. I think that's the phrase. Um, And do we have to be killing ourselves in order to survive? um, Or is there another way? And I think that's a a really exciting time to be, yeah, in the kind of work space, um, because we are, we're questioning those things. Um, And Mm. I think something that you said just before we jumped on the podcast, um, was this idea that or this notion that we don't have to have it all together all the time it's so so true and so um rich with yeah it's just we we don't have to have it together all the time we're human beings we are fallible and exactly
1: and Um, i guess i definitely think there is a sense of in a community in not necessarily just in the coaching community but i think in if you're working in a space where you are um, serving people mm. is that sense of almost like imposter syndrome. If you don't have it all together, and I definitely felt that earlier this year of how am I working with people and telling them, you know, different ways of navigating change, and it's okay to feel all this stuff when I'm pushing my own stuff down, and that's not authentic, it's not real, and I'm, it, it didn't feel aligned, and that's when I realised, well, that's because we. I'm putting this image out there. I'm saying to people it's okay to not have it all together, and then I'm pretending to have it all together and so it didn't match up so I think it's okay to show that you're human and we all have these peaks and troughs in our lives and sometimes we need to ask for help sometimes we just collapse in bed and we're like nope can't do it that's it give up and then there's other times where yeah you can pull yourself out and you can go for it and it's finding what works for you I've found that I am not a person that can work till 3am whereas I've got friends who absolutely bossing it and absolutely love working till 3am and absolutely they love the ground and that's just not for me and i think it's finding that balance of what works for you you know i also have adhd inattentive adhd and so that's another thing that i've got to factor in and it's it really comes down to what works best for you so that you're not burning yourself out, because as the age-old saying goes, is you can't pour from an empty cup, and it is so true. You know, it sounds very cliche, but it is true. You have to be able to buy the things that work for you. Don't follow what everybody else says. You can try it, but if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. You'll find something yeah. that does.
0: You're not a failure if uh, if yeah something that works for someone else doesn't work for you yeah, that's yeah. A really nice. Meeting. Like 5am club? No, thank you. Tried it. No. <laughs> I tried it this past year as well. And uh I must say the time that I gained back, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I've got I get home from the gym and I was like, Oh, I'm I'm actually it's up and about <laughs> and I'm ready. But then by about five o'clock in the afternoon I was done for. That was it. I was Exactly. There. So yeah, as you say, it's finding the balance, it's finding what works. Um. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, and just on that, so something that um, I've been, you know, really blown away by is, you were just talking about the sort of image that you put out and you have really jumped on social media um, as something that you use to kind of, yeah, I saw you sort of grimace there. <laughs> our listeners can't see our faces
1: (laughs) with my socials uh my socials are again a peak and trough that come with Mm. my adhd (laughs) fixations (laughs) and um yeah so you tend to find that i you can kind of see how i'm going in life generally um when it's reflected in my social media presence and consistency
0: um but because, I, I do you know, look... as someone that consumes it i don't notice i don't necessarily notice when it's not there i don't notice when there's lots of it it's just it's for me as someone that just witnesses it it seems like there's just a constant stream um, and that you're really kind of on top of it so yeah it's it's amazing how you feel and how it's then perceived um, oh yeah and look
1: with social media you have to like nobody's gonna notice if you don't post for five days they're really not it's all about what's in your mind (laughs) um but i love i love social media i think it's a really great tool for a expressing yourself but also Mm -hmm. be connecting with so many other people i've made so many friends through social media especially in the grief space and to be able to hear their perspectives and see how they talk about their own experience to make friends who have a similar experience to what i had um, it's a place really that has made me feel less isolated especially when it comes again to this infertility stuff it's not spoken about a lot and the mm-hmm. place where i found the most comfort and solace is social media it's people sharing their experiences of it the things that they've tried the things that they've done and how it's going for them i think it's a it's a you know everything has a yin and a yang and I think social media can have a beautiful, beautiful support. And um, you know, you're t- you're you're supporting people that you might even not know that you're supporting them. I get messages all the time from people I've never met that have said they've been following me since 2020 when I did my podcast, which I don't do anymore. I've not done it for years, and they're still there. And I think how beautiful you will never know the lives that you've impacted just by hopping online and sharing. And at first it's really awkward. And then oh, I actually find it really easy now. It's almost like a diary for me to to mm. share everything that I'm feeling in a day. And that's everything from laughing down the camera and doing a silly dance to bawling my eyes out, probably a bit of snot coming out my nose, doing a reel on me like, you know, falling apart. But yeah. it shows again that I don't have it all together. And I think that's what mm. makes it so beautiful. And that's how people resonate with it. Cause they're like, oh my God,
0: she's a human. She's yeah. not just a
1: robot, she's a human.
0: Yeah, because there is the tendency on online that, um yeah, we, we put out these filtered appearances. We put out these, um, uh, I suppose, I- idolized um, versions of ourselves and what we mm. want the world to see. I'm. Um, <laughs> I write poetry about it often and and it's yeah. it, it is that kind of the the projection of, of what we want the world to see and um, and yeah hiding the oh, I'm just I'm just looking out my window and little robins just stopped outside the window which, <laughs> which interestingly is uh, talking about grief is a totem of my grandmother so that was a bit of a tangent gone off there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she to say hello and uh, uh, <laughs> greet us with their presence and say, oh, hey there. Um, yeah, so, uh, what was I saying? Social media. Um, I think it's a really, really interesting space when used correctly. Um, and like, mm. as you say, kind of showing up when you're not feeling so good as well um, is a really, really good thing to do. I think um, I, I was inspired by you recently and I, I put up an honesty post and said, you know, Honestly Post, things are going a bit rubbish for me at the moment, because you look at my social media profile and you see these beautiful nature walks where I'm out with my dog and I'm, you know, living life to the fullest. And what people don't know is that actually everything's falling apart <laughs> and, um, and you know, you're struggling to, to make it through and you you want to show up for people, you want to be able to, I don't know, be the best version of yourself, but sometimes you are just human. You are just a human yeah. being, and just yeah, making whatever sense we can make of this life. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating.
1: Little <laughs> well Robin's still
0: there. To- Sorry, still there. Cute.
1: I think as well, when it comes to social media, one thing that I'm really careful of as well is just making sure that what I'm sharing is trauma-informed and safe because i do see a lot and i do want to mention this because i do see a lot of posts and content that is quite sort of toxic positivity i know that term's thrown around a lot but i do Mm -hmm. think there is a bit of toxic positivity out there um people kind of just trauma dumping online and that's not what it is at all it's got to be yes authentic and real and feel aligned to who you are but at the same time making sure that you're doing it in a safe way that's safe for you but also safe for other people who may be consuming that content because especially when it comes to grief right it's it's um such a complex um response that that we have as humans and and there's so many layers to it and so you can't just blanket statements out there or give diagnosis or whatever it is that you're talking about mm. um and I think that that's something that you just have to bear in mind when you are sharing content on social media is are you doing this safely what are the reasons that I'm doing this as well am I am I sharing online for validation am I sharing mm. online um so that other people praise me or am I doing this because it genuinely I don't care if anybody sees this or not I don't yeah. care if a 100 people see it or just one person sees it all that matters to me is if the one person hears what I say and they think oh my god I'm feeling that too or oh my god that must be what my friend's feeling and now I can go and support them so there's a bit of a caveat there and that's what I mean about the yin and the yang of social media um, is you've got to be really careful but it is such a powerful tool and I think that so much positivity can come from it and so much um, impact can come from it, especially
0: as a coach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really interesting what you just said there about the um, almost the intention behind why you're posting. Um, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a fascinating one. And I think for me, it was it was just this feeling like everything everyone had it together. And I went, I'm gonna show maybe that I don't have it together. And then the, the response that you get when you kind of do put yourself out there and show a little bit of vulnerability is breathtaking. I had so many people from my past sort of reach out, like, you know, I'm also going through such and such. I'm also, um, this is also something that I'm I'm struggling with or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's, yeah, that's the power. I really saw the power come to life with that. Um, and yeah, I suppose podcasts are another sort of layer of that. It's, um, listening to people having honest conversations as human beings. And then the listeners, you know, all you lovely listeners out there are here Ooh. to listen and resonate with what resonates and go, Oh, okay, I'm not alone, and, and therefore. I've got this, and you know, I've I've noticed that the Mo Podcast actually through listening to some of them, I've learned so much. I've learned so many little tips and tricks along the way, and it's uh yeah, it's fascinating being able to share one's voice um and share one's story. I suppose, um, yeah, yeah. so we've talked about grief on a kind of very personal level. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really, really interested (laughs) um, on a global level, because we've all just been through the pandemic. I say just, it's been a few years now, but I think we're still reeling from that a little bit. Um, Mm. and, And people may not want to admit that anything changed, but I think, A lot has changed. Um Mm. so I'd love to hear your reflections and and we have touched on it a little bit, but um I'd love to hear your reflections on that. So grief on a global scale.
1: I think everybody felt this loss of safety and security and autonomy. Mm. Um we were thrown into this world that we never thought we would be thrown into. We kind of lived in our blissful naivety of um you know we get to choose when we wake up when we go outside what we do when we go to work and um, how we spend our days and that was sort of taken from us and in in a way that you know i think people grieved that that freedom that maybe they they felt they didn't have anymore mm-hmm. and um you know, we, we felt it all across the world, regardless of what your circumstances were and where you were living in the world. Because obviously, every different country experienced it differently, and we're all we're only just really starting to see the impacts of that, and especially um in children and in schools, the impacts of, you know, your um we call them preps here. So going from into into reception um, and. Yeah. And then into year one, these, tra- these, these children are re- were starting to see the impacts that it had. And a lot of them are really anxious about change because this mass change happened that could not be ignored, but nobody knew how to deal with it, nobody knew how to navigate it. Um, and actually, I think in some ways, everybody going through it on a global scale, it meant that these conversations were more open to being had people were more open to talking about grief, because they could resonate with it. And they could actually identify with it, because you could give them a scenario that everybody had experienced. There's not one person on this planet that doesn't know about COVID. So you know, you can make it, you know, really relatable to people. And that meant that the conversation opened up a lot more. And, but I think there's such a complexity there because there's so many, everybody's life was impacted so differently that yeah. grief that was felt, we're not really going to see the impacts of for another five, 10 years. We're starting to see it through schools now. But um, it's really difficult. But at the same time, I do think it opened up a really yeah. great opportunity for, you know, most of the best grief podcasts and grief um, specialists out there that I know of came about during COVID because mm. people were more willing to hear it. Yeah. And it's that thing of if someone resonates with it, they're more likely to talk about it. So it, it's really hard. Um, I'm not too sure we'll watch it. I'm not too sure what more else I can say on it, other than the fact that I actually think it's opened up that conversation more, which is only a good
0: thing. It is. I mean, it is a really, really good thing. Um, I, yeah, just had a thought on the. um, I suppose I, I was linking it back to your story that you shared right at the beginning. So, the fact that when you were, you know, faced with the huge loss of you know, losing your mom—it didn't really hit you, or it hit you in a way that you weren't able to look at um, to begin Ooh. with. It was—it was almost like a shock, um, and it also made me think of the—you uh, know—when th- people think about leaf they they grief. When people think about grief, they think about the five stages. <laughs> and I'm I I know that that's something that you kind of um through your work have been looking at dismantling or re re rewording rehashing um and yeah I'd love to to hear your thoughts on that (laughs) because it's something that (laughs) rolls a few feathers in the grief community
1: yeah I was gonna say I don't think anyone in the grief community would uh (laughs) Well, I think that most people are on the same page with me on this. So um, the Five Stages of Grief, which was um, written by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. They were actually it was research that she actually did on terminally ill patients. So people that were facing their own impending death. And she herself has said that these five stages were never intended to be used as a prescription for grief. They were never intended to be used as a stage by stage linear model. But somewhere along the way, It has evolved to become this (laughs) thing that people crutch that people use as well. I have to feel one of these five emotions and depending on which one I feel shows where I am in my grief and at what point this grief is going to end. But sadly, when it comes to grief, grief doesn't end. I always say that grief is lifelong. It's something that we learn to live alongside. It's going to come in and out of our life. It ebbs and flows there's going to be months where maybe you don't think about it and then something happens maybe it's the smell of a perfume or just an advert you see on tv I always there was a mcdonald's advert that was on for a while um and it was a mother and a daughter and every time that came on I just bawled my eyes out and so there's these little things that make it resurface and when it does resurface it feels just as heavy as that first day of loss at first mm-hmm. day when you found out that you died or someone was separating or that that loss was happening, it resurfaces. And so you don't go one, two, three, four, five, you're done. The other thing is, is that I do think there is a space for it because a lot of people find comfort in it, right? As I said mm-hmm. at the start, people like to have answers, they like to have structure. And so sometimes what the five stages of grief or any other theories around grief can do, it can provide a bit of a model for people so that they feel in control. And that Mm -hmm. can help reduce anxieties it can help reduce fear and that's i don't think that's a bad thing if it helps somebody and it resonates with them then that's great but i think where the dangers come with the five stages of grief or any other grief theory is where we are too rigid with it and we're like it has to be this way it mm-hmm. has to look yeah. like this because it doesn't account for all of those different nuances as we mentioned at the start and the uniqueness to grief. We know that it doesn't follow a pattern. If it followed a pattern, I wouldn't need a job because we'd all know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it's 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 so complex. So things like the five stages of grief, I'm really passionate about talking to people about actually the truth behind the theory and how the theory came to be. Yeah. So yeah. you have the context there. But then also saying and normalising that it's okay if you don't feel those things, and showcasing all the different theories that are out there, because there's a lot of different theories out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Which one's right? How can you say which one's right? If there's multiple out there, you've just got to find what resonates and works for you. So that's what I'm really passionate about. And especially when it comes to um, working with young people and, and children, it's it's so different as well, because of developmental stages. So, you know, they're still developing. And the way that we talk about grief, the way we approach grief, the way that we respond to grief is so different for anybody under the age of 18, to what it is as an adult. And so I think that, again, there needs to be education around that. Um, Yes, five stages of grief. I'm, I'm not, I don't mind it, but I think it needs to be used appropriately
0: yeah yeah and no, I hear that, and I think um it's what we were saying earlier on, isn't it? It's um the trying to make something that is so complex, less complex and more digestible, more palatable um, because <laughs> well, to use your example, when you're looking into a, a kaleidoscope, it's really difficult to make sense of that, and what we're trying mm. to do there. Um, or, I suppose what what the aim of um, people that are looking into that kaleidoscope is is how can I make this black and white? How can I um, yeah. how can I put words to this or make sense of this or you know not get so lost in the fragments um, that are coming thick and fast um, because yeah it does it sort of shatters shatters everything that you've known. Um, yeah. And has a lasting impact has a lasting impact
1: mm-hmm. um, it's giving people when you're working with anybody that's experienced loss it's giving them the opportunity to make their own meaning from it and when i say meaning i don't mean you have to find meaning in the reason that something awful happened if there was a traumatic event or a death you don't have to find a reason that that happened there doesn't have to be a reason but yeah. funny meaning moving forward so how are you going to keep that connection alive how are you going to um take what you've learned from this experience and then continue moving through life and putting one foot in front of the other and that doesn't Mm -hmm. mean doing something big it doesn't mean starting a business like I did it doesn't mean talking on podcasts and sharing your story openly you don't have to share it with anyone if you don't want to but it can be as simple as you know okay I used to always light a candle on Christmas Eve with my person before they died and so I'm going to continue doing that it could be I'm actually just gonna keep getting out of bed every single day and that's my meaning making so it's yeah. supporting somebody to find their own way forward and not placing your expectations of what it should look like. And I know you know as coaches we're not meant to place our expectations, but it can be really hard when when maybe there's a situation that resonates with us and we can see that somebody's in pain and we just want to be able to fix it for them. Yeah. recognizing we can't fix it. Yeah. we have to just sit with them and allow them to to find their own way forward. Of course, we can hold their hand, we can stabilize them, but we cannot create the path for them. They have to find that themselves. And that's something that, you know, once I realized that for myself, that really changed everything for me because for a very long time, I just wanted everybody else to tell me what to do. What am I meant Mm -hmm. to do? Where am I meant to go? How am I meant to navigate this? I don't understand. Nobody around me understood either because nobody around me had lost a parent at a young age. And so I just kind of felt like I was grasping at things that everybody else was doing and yeah. not actually finding my, I was following everybody else's path, not my own. And until I found my own, was I able to do what I'm doing now where I'm really living in my passion and what I'm excited about and what gets me up every single day. Um, yeah. so yeah, finding your own meaning. It's really
0: important. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful way to put it. I think it's, um, a lot of what we've talked about obviously is going to resonate with the community having lost Aaron this year and um, so mm. I think what you were talking about there and the kind of meaning making and and not not the rationale not the you know why and all of that but the um, yeah making meaning or um, how do we carry on the legacy um was is something mm. that's been really alive for me um, I'm currently using Darren's microphone to do the podcast. So we're continuing (laughs) these conversations. Um, And something that I did in my kind of, in my own grief, I suppose, um, is I I wrote a poem. And it was a way for me to make sense of what was happening and what had happened and um, and how it really felt for me because there were no words, but I kept having this, this really strong image um, and the poem starts um, this grief feels like an inky black pen submerged in a crystal clear glass of water. And it's it's all about that yeah, th- things have changed. things are different. And the way the path, as you put it, is not clear. it's not um, mm. it's not defined. Um, I think I was writing recently as well about um, a path in the shrubbery, <laughs> is that how do you find a path and how do you carve out the path for yourself um, when all you want really is someone to scoop you up and save you, um, mm-hmm. look after you and say, here, I've, I've laid cool. it all out for you. Um, so there's a real strength to the navigation and actually Mm. what you've said with your your work in helping people and sitting alongside people in their grief um or sitting Mm. alongside your grief itself um is just incredibly powerful work incredibly powerful um so yeah i'm i'm really interested in how we use things and i know that a lot of the work that you do with children you use things like um I don't want to say you simplify it, but you give um, a language for Mm. sometimes things that are without language. Um,
1: Yeah. Well, when it comes to children, you, as I say, you have to be really age appropriate and developmentally appropriate. And so I wouldn't just go into a class of grade ones and start talking about death. Um, no, and and no. dying, right? Because they're still developing their actual understanding of the fact that humans die. So, unless they've experienced mm. the death of somebody close to them, often they can only relate death to stuff that happens to animals and plants. So, when we're okay. talking about loss, we often talk about change as a broad term. And then we talk, we introduce the concept of death through plants and animals because that's an easier concept for them to understand. And we talk about how change can make us feel and how. Um, who can we ask for support from when things change and how can we support ourselves when things change. And so we use um, storytelling as a way of um, painting that image for them. And then they often, it's very child led. So they will often come forward with their own experiences of grief and loss that they've experienced. And they may not be able to term it as grief and loss. We don't use those words grief with them. We just talk mm. about change and how that makes us feel and the big emotions it might make us feel. And again, that duality of sometimes it might make us feel happy. Sometimes it might make us feel frustrated or anxious. Um, And then as we move into the older years, of course, then we start to get more specific, but it is really about simplifying it using concrete language as well. So if you're talking to a child about death, use the word dead and died. Don't say they've gone to sleep or um you know they've gone away for a while because that can actually create fear and confusion and children like to have clear concrete language so they can understand and so getting comfortable with using those terms dead Mm. and died, it can feel really blunt at the start but i always say my mom died like i'm just used to it now i say it whereas before i probably would say oh she passed away
0: um but to a
1: child that doesn't necessarily mean much and so using clear concrete language and we like to use a lot of arts so a lot of um, things where they can use their hands and um, so it gets them out of their um sort of it, it removes the pressure um mm. of having those stations um around big emotions and it means that they can express themselves freely through movement through music through um, painting and arts we do all of these different things that when we're working with children um to actually sit and just have a one-on-one conversation you're probably not going to get much from them and I know yeah. that from personal experience as a 15 year old when I went to see a counsellor after my mum died first time I think I'd probably gone to see her about six times and I just spoke about stuff going on at school mm-hmm. and then there was one time where we made a memory jar and this is something I still do with my kids now in my workshops because mm-hmm. I love the activities so much we made a memory jar and um, that's the first time I spoke about my mum in, mm-hmm. in the session. And I think that's because it took me out of that logical part of my brain yeah. and I was doing something with my hands and it didn't feel so confronting. Yeah. So that's yeah. what the, the kind of things that we utilize when working with children. Um. And, and the other thing is that often children, you know, as adults, we experience all our emotions at once. And we're like, yes, we need to work through this now. We need to solve it. We've got a lot more life experience. We kind of just try and get through. But with children, they'll, it's called puddle jumping. So they'll jump in and out of the emotion of what they're mm. feeling. It's actually really psychologically safe. But so often as adults, we think they're just avoiding it. They don't want to talk about it. They're not facing yeah. what's happened.
0: Oh, it's completely actually, different cattle fish, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's completely very, very different
1: fish. Their brain, their brain is still developing. Their poor little brains are still developing. And they, it's actually protecting them so that they're not yeah. overwhelmed by emotion by learning by trauma whatever it is it's Mm. almost like dosing it for them so that they have the time to be able to make sense because grief does change our pathways in our brain it changes our neurological pathways there's a lot of research around it grief brain is a real thing because there's all sorts i won't go into the science of it but there's all sorts of stuff going on in our brains and in our pathways in our blood vessels when we're grieving. And so um, it's, it's actually really safe. And so if you are working with children that have experienced loss, just remember those things, that it looks yeah. very different for them as to what it does for an adult.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it's fascinating what you say about kind of using the arts to um, yeah, create this kind of third prong. Because um, as our listeners probably know, I'm <laughs> training as an arts psychotherapist, but that's for adults as well. Um, mm. It's sometimes safer to create a bit of distance. So put it in an image, you know, wha, how does, um, I suppose I was using language earlier in the, the inky black pen and it, how does it, how does it look? How does it feel? How can we, um, yeah, give meaning to it? And I think I would strongly encourage if, if any of our listeners out there are kind of struggling with big emotions um it it might not be oh i need to talk to someone obviously that's great and it's the first port of call if you're feeling low but if you don't have that resource straight away um grab a piece of paper grab a pen Mm um you know dance I, i know that you put on a favorite tune of yours sometimes um, that reminds you of your mom and dance around and and like you say feel the joy of it feel the um the push and pull of the emotions that can coexist i think that's a really strong message is that they can exist together um we don't have to feel just sad we don't have to feel just you know whatever we feel they're they're constantly sort of in motion within us um so yeah that's really fascinating and it's making my brain tingle with all the uh, <laughs> all the different avenues and uh, and and things that we've we've discussed today um so Trina I'm we're getting towards the end of the podcast but mm, I just wanted we could we could talk for hours and hours. Um, our listeners <laughs> may not want that, but um, <laughs> but I think what we've covered today has been really interesting. Um, and I'm just really grateful to have you on the podcast. Is is there anything that you would like to share as kind of a final final note? Um, I suppose that grief
1: feels lonely but you're not alone Mm -hmm. and you don't you don't have to feel any certain way if you're grieving every emotion every feeling is completely valid and normal grief is a very normal response to a significant loss and what Mm -hmm. is significant to you may not be significant to others and vice versa but it is to you and it is a uniquely personal experience Mm. and so if you are feeling alone if you are feeling confused if you are feeling unsure or uncertain then find one person whether that is a psychologist whether that's following someone on social media that is sharing their experience whether that's listening to a podcast do it because I guarantee you will hear something and you will think oh my gosh I feel that too and you will feel just a little just a small part of you will feel finally acknowledged and that small acknowledgement doesn't have to be a big thing but that small tiny bit of acknowledgement really can make the difference in grief and I am the I think sometimes especially with me sharing on social media, people think that I have it all figured out with my grief. And I'm telling you now, it's 14 years, This coming up to 14 years this year in 2024, since my mum died. And I still sometimes do not understand why I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. Mm. And I am in the midst of my own grief with infertility and I do not understand it sometimes. And I think there's this idea that you can't have that that you have to be strong all the time I, I don't believe that i think that true strength comes from actually acknowledging how you're feeling and saying i need help i i don't know what i'm doing i don't know how you know i'm gonna move through this this is scary this is unknown and that is the real strength so don't be afraid to ask for help um and know that you're not alone and if you do want to talk to anybody who you know, gets grief. I've, I've you know, I've, I only touched on a brief part of my story today, but I've experienced a lot of grief in yeah. my 29 years on this this planet, and um, I'm always happy to give a listening in. or we'll refer to somebody who, you know, might have a similar experience. So mm. that was a little bit more than just a little bit of a no, ending. No, but, um yeah. yeah, just no, it is. It feels lonely, but you truly are not alone.
0: that's so nice thank you and for anyone listening we will pop down some resources um gina what's your um handle on on instagram and and your business name i don't think we've even covered that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well um so instagram um two pages so there's grow with grief which is all Grief-related resources and education and free downloadables, etc. And then there's also my personal page, which is Katrina Weller underscore, and that's where I'm sharing more about the work that I do, um, my own personal experiences with grief and loss at the moment, and what it's like to run your own business and all of those fun things. And you get to see a couple of videos of my cute little two rescue dogs as well. So that's always a bonus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's beautiful. Um, so as I say, I will, will add all of those resources and um, and some more. If you are feeling like you, yeah, just need someone to talk to, then we can um, we can refer you. Um, so thank you so much for coming on today, Trina, and I look forward to seeing what's next for you. <laughs> nice to
1: speak to you. Thank you. Bye.
0: And that concludes this episode. Thank you so much, Katrina, for coming on and sharing your wisdoms. I have a feeling that this will be an incredibly cathartic and needed podcast for the community um, as we all grieve in our own way, no right or wrong way, the, the passing of Darren. And as we all move through different phases of our lives, which bring all sorts of different changes, This is a reminder to go gently and reach out for that support if you do need it. Now, if you are interested in sharing your voice and your story on the Mo podcast, then please do get in touch with one of the team. You can email myself at Maisie at mofoundation.com or jane at mofoundation.com. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about Mo and what we get up to, then you can find out all of that information on our website. That's mofoundation.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.